Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Amen and amen. Thank you, Adam. Today, we are in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to go there with me, Isaiah chapter 6. And today, we're going to be talking about worship. Today we're going to be talking about worship. You know, when you have a conversation about worship, it is good to have a working definition. It is good to have a working definition for the word worship. It's, it's, it's the combination. It's, it's, it's worth-ship. Worth-ship. And when you're talking about worship, what you're talking about, in essence is to ascribe ultimate worth to someone or something. Let's say it again. When you worship, it is to ascribe ultimate worth or value to someone or something. And newsflash, everybody worships. Everybody worships. The atheist worships. The agnostic worships. The unchurched, as we would call them, worship. The Buddhist worships, the Muslim worships, the Jew worships, the Christian worships. There is nobody on the face of the earth right now that is breathing that does not worship. Everybody ascribes ultimate worth and value to someone or something. The question is not whether or not you're worshiping. The question is who or what are you worshiping? Is it the job that you're worshiping? Is it the boyfriend or the girlfriend that you're worshiping? Is it your spouse that you're worshiping, your children? Is it the person in the mirror or in the selfie? The question is not if you're worshiping. The question is who or what are you worshiping? And so often when we talk about worship, you know, we, 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 we want to talk about the, the, the how of worship. We want to talk about the, 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 the various trappings of worship and the, the various exercises that we do. Oftentimes when we talk about worship, we, we think of a corporate gathering like this. We think of music and song and scripture and word and prayer and testimony. We often think in terms of a place when we talk about worship. And, 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 and I love this quote that I, that I got. It's a beautiful quote from Auntie Ellen. And, and, and as she's talking about this, she, she, she grabs from the Old Testament the experience of corporate worship with the Israelites, and she begins to talk a little bit about the, about the how, which we, which we often talk about. She, goes, she says this, uh, written in 1898, one of our co-founders of our Seventh-day Adventist church, she says this, let the talent of singing be brought into the work. We just heard that, amen? The use of musical instruments is not at all objectionable. They were used in religious services in ancient, in ancient times. 
The worshipers praised God upon the harp and cymbal, and music should have its place in our services. It will add to the interest, she says. Close quote. Because what she's dealing with here is what we often... Uh, when we have conversations about this, she's dealing with the how. And she's encouraging, based on biblical principle, how one can enhance that experience. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Because it's so easy to, be, to, to linger in the how. As a matter of fact, Jesus knows about this experience when he went down to Samaria, John chapter 4. He goes to Samaria and he meets this woman of Samaria, if you're familiar with the story. But when he meets her... Uh, she begins, as he gets a little bit closer to home as to what her real condition was, she begins to now divert and deflect, and she begins to talk about the place and the how of worship. She begins to do often what happens, and she begins to reduce the conversation to a place or a form when she's talking to Jesus Christ. And so when she's talking with him, she says, oh yes, you, you Jews, right? I, I, I get this. I, I, I know the religious debate. You Jews, you worship down there in Jerusalem. You worship at that temple, right? That place. And, 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 and then she says, well, we Samaritans, we worship over here on this mountain. And Jesus does something that I absolutely love there in John 4. He lifts the conversation to where it needs to be. He says, listen, woman, listen, God is looking for true worshipers. You, you, you want to talk about the how, and you want to talk about the place. But he says the time is coming and now is where the true worshiper of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And it will be an experience, this, uh, th this supernatural experience that he says it will come from the inside out. It will be like a wellspring overflowing to eternal life. It's not about the place, Jesus is saying. It's about an experience that you are having personally that comes from the inside out into your everyday life. Location will no longer, especially after the cross, be an issue about experiencing the presence of Christ. And so when we talk about the, 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 the subject of worship, we, 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 we want to go deeper than a how or a place or a location. And by the way, when I talk about worship today, I am not primarily speaking of what is, is what's happening here today in terms of a corporate worship experience, although we will touch on that. What I am primarily getting at is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about worship. It is a whole life embracing thing. It is something that is not relegated to a day of the week. Though we have a day set aside that is holy, amen? But worship should be an everyday experience. And so when we talk about worship, we want to move from the how and we want to move to the why. Why do we do this thing called worship? And today there is no better place to understand what worship is and the why of worship than Isaiah chapter 6. Verses 1 to 8. I want to thank Andrea for rendering that scripture reading so beautifully earlier for us. But if you have your Bibles, again, I want to, I want to encourage you to come with me there to Isaiah chapter 6, because immediately when you, when you enter into Isaiah chapter 6, the story begins to unfold and you are immediately introduced. You are immediately introduced to a king. His name is Uzziah. Now, if you're reading the Bible, you understand that, 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 uh, that, that, that the Bible, in particularly the books of Kings and in the book of Chronicles, 
It highlights several successions of kings. And this is the time of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judea. And typically in the northern kingdom, it'll say, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? Bad king. And then in Judea, you'll have a series of good and then bad kings. This king did good in the eyes of the Lord. This one did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This one led people towards God. And this one led people away from God. And so when you come to Uzziah, he is one of those kings that initially the Bible says he did good in the eyes of the Lord. He was faithful to God. He, he was faithful to Yahweh and, and, and he led the people closer to God. But towards the end of his career as king, tragically, pride begins to well up in his heart, which we are all susceptible to. Amen. And, 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 and he goes into unauthorized the sanctuary. He goes into the temple and he tries to offer up incense to God. And the priests, they warn him, they stop him, they say, King, look, I know you're king, I respect that, but guess what? You are not authorized to be in here. And he gets angry at their chastisement. And in just judgment, God uh, gives him leprosy that breaks out on his head. And he has leprosy until the day of his death. And here we are in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is chronicling for us. He's giving us the news break. King Uzziah is dead. And whenever in the Bible there is anybody of note, there is a king, a government leader, who dies, understandably so, there is grieving, there is mourning, there is sadness, but mixed with that also is a certain level of anxiety. You see, whenever there was a, there, there was a transition of power in leadership, whenever there was a, a change from one king to another king, I hope you're hearing me, family. Whenever there is a change from one administration to another administration, the people of the land get a little nervous. What kind of king will this king be? Will conspiracy circulate around this person's leadership? What is the character of this leader? What will happen to the nation? These are things that begin to go when we experience this even in our own personal lives, things that we do not understand, right? We don't understand what's coming next in our lives, what's going on in the future, what's going on tomorrow. We get a little nervous, don't we? We, 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 got, we get a little anxious with the unknown. And so with this scenario going on there in Judea, the Bible lets us go. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, that's Yahweh, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. Now I pause right there because that was when everybody should have broke out in hallelujah and amen. And so I'm going to come back to it and repeat it again. Because I don't want you to miss what just happened right there. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah gets a vision from the Lord and he sees the Lord seated on a what? On a throne. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to say it one more time. When there was the temptation based on a government leader, based on a king, when there was a temptation to be anxious because of uncertainty, God said, lift your gaze. I'm giving you a vision to that which is certain. Okay, when, 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 when there was a sense that things are beginning to become out of control, God says, look, lift your gaze. I want to show you who is sovereignly in control. When, when, when the earthly king died, 
God says, look, lift your gaze. Wait a minute. Let me give you a vision of what's really going on. The king is still on his throne. So let's go there to Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, because Jesus wants us to understand what a true worship encounter is all about. We're going to find it three, uh, rather four principles coming right out of Isaiah chapter 6. Four principles coming right out of Isaiah chapter 6. If you're there, let me hear you say amen. amen. The Bible says in verse 1, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, that's angels. Each one had six wings, two to cover his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, here it is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. What in the world is happening here? As Isaiah is getting a vision of God seated on the throne, we are ushered into the first principle of a true worship experience. You said the word a moment ago. You said the word glory. The angels, as they cried out holy, they said, the whole earth is filled with his glory. So the first thing you need, if you want to have a genuine, true Worship experience personally with Jesus Christ is you need a vision of his glory. For you to begin to have an encounter with Jesus Christ that leads to worship, where you ascribe ultimate worth to him, you need a vision, you need perception, you need to see his glory revealed. Now let's demystify this word glory, because if you want to understand the word glory, typically when we hear the word glory, we think of the uh, awesome power and majesty of God, the outward manifestation, the wow of the awesomeness of God. Amen? But when the Bible uses the word glory, it is speaking of something richer and deeper than that. It involves that, but it actually goes much deeper than that, and there's no better place to understand that word glory then in Exodus, if you want to go there, you can. Exodus chapter 33 and 34. Exodus chapter 33 and 34. When we talk about Exodus, you know, you automatically know we're talking about the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt on their way to Canaan. And on the way, they stop, of course, as they're going to Mount Sinai. And they have some experiences with God. And in, and in Exodus 33, Moses is there with God, and he is claiming the promise of God. God, you promised your covenant promise, your faithful love. You said, God, that you're going to take us to Canaan. I'm praying, God, that your presence will go with us. They had already started to complain, and Moses was a little nervous that they were going to disappoint God, and somehow God was going to abandon them. But I thank God that he's a God of faithful covenant love. Amen? And God, and Moses is, is, is there with, with, with God, and he says, God, in a sheer moment of what I believe is either insanity or holy, radical boldness. In the presence of God, he says there in Exodus 33, he says, God, show me, here it is, your glory. Show me, I want to see, help me to see your glory, he says. And God grants him his request. God does something, and if you're familiar with the story, God does something in Exodus 34 that oftentimes we think is what 
he's primarily getting at when God begins to show him his glory. God does something. He says, okay, Moses, you want to see my glory? Here it is. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock over here because what's about to go down, you, you, you really can't take too much of it. So go over here and I'm going to walk by, right? I'm going to pass by and I'm going to allow you to see my back because all you can bear visibly of me is my back. But that is not the answer to the request. The glory was not the back of God, although that is a part of the God glory package. God, in Exodus 34, about verse 4 to about verse 7, God says, I'm now going to show you my glory. I'm now going to reveal to you my glory. Here it is. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal, I'm going to rather declare the name of the Lord. That is his character. When the Bible talks about name, it's talking and particularly about God. It's referring to the character of God. And God begins to do something. Go with me there. Exodus 34. I'm going to go there myself. Exodus 34, beginning in verse, beginning in verse uh, 4 or 5. Let me take a quick look. Exodus 34. Are you there, everybody? Are we awake? All right. Amen. All right. Here we go. So we are in verse verse 6. No, thank you. Verse 5. The Bible says this. Now the Lord, that is Yahweh. When you see Lord in all caps, that's his personal name. Yahweh descended in the cloud and showed him and stood with him there. That's Moses and proclaimed the what? The name. That's the character of the Lord. Here it is. He goes and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. He said, here's the glory. He said, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord God. Here it is. Here's the glory. Merciful and gracious, and long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. By the way, when you read that elsewhere, and you read it in the original, it's speaking of thousands of generations. That's important for what's about to come next. Keeping mercy for thousands. Here it is, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But here it is, he's also balanced and just. He says, by no means clearing the guilty, there is consequences for your actions. There are some things that you set in motion by your own choice. So he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to how many generations? To the third and the fourth generation. But we just read a little bit earlier, how long is his mercy extending for? Thousands of generations. Are you hearing, are you hearing the Lord this morning? And so he says, Moses, look, if you want to know what my glory is, it's my character. It's all those, you just, you just read some attributes of the character of God. That's why it's so important as you're there in the Word every day to focus in on the character of God because when you see God's character, you can see sometimes His anger and you can sometimes see His justice and you can sometimes see His mercy and you can see different aspects of windows into who and, to, to who and what God is. But John simplifies all of that for us in John, 1 John rather, chapter 4, verse 8. He takes all of those words, those words in our Bible that talk about the various attributes of God's character, and he says, I'm just going to make it easy for everybody at Vienna in 2017. He says, I'm going to give you one word in a three-word phrase, which I believe is probably one of the most powerful in all of Scripture, in 1 John 4, 8, and he says this. If you want to know what God's glory is, he says it's this. God is love period all the stuff that we just read about the glory of god his character right who he is 
John says, that's right. I love all those descriptions. But if you just want to sum it down, who is God? What is his character all about? He is love. Other-centered, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. This is the glory of God. And this is what God is wanting us to get a glimpse of in order for us to experience what the Bible talks about when it deals with worship. Did you see it? Did you hear the angels as they were crying out? It almost seems as if they were speaking to each member of the Godhead. Three times they cry out, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah and vision is caught up into the heavenly sanctuary theme. We were talking about in our young adult group this past Thursday night. If you're a young adult, you want to come out every other Thursday night, and I'm doing a shameless plug, yes I am, to our grow group on Thursday nights here in the youth room, okay? We have an excellent time talking about Jesus. But here it is. They are there. God is giving Isaiah a window into the heavenly sanctuary, into the throne room, and he sees these cherubim. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And as they're there, they're, they're, they're looking at how God is interacting with humanity. That's what it's meaning when it says the whole earth is full of his... The whole... Come on, talk back to me, family. The whole earth is full of his of his glory. Why? Because God is interacting with humanity for their good, for their salvation. And as the angels see the character of God unfolding in the unfolding of the gospel story, they can't help but say, holy, help but say, holy, holy, holy. A response is elicited from them when they see the character of God as he is interacting and moving amongst humanity for their good. You see, this experience that we read there in verses 1 to 5 is actually an echo of the Old Testament earthly sanctuary. This is, this, the, the, the scene that we just saw is actually an echo of when the priests were trying to enter in, when they were dedicating the sanctuary. When the priest, It happened twice, right? With the wilderness sanctuary, and it happened also with the, 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 the temple of Solomon. When the priests tried to go in to the sanctuary to minister before the Lord, right? The type that was pointing to the real one in heaven. When they're there and they're trying to go in and God himself uh, uh, veiled in a cloud of glory. He enters in uh, indicating that God is now with his people. God wants a relationship. He wants to be close. And so he comes in. But there's so much cloud and there's so much smoke that the ministers, the, 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 the priests, they cannot, they cannot serve in the temple. And so they actually leave because of the glory of God. And Isaiah is seeing an actual illustration in his vision of what is actually taking place in heaven. And when this happens, by the way, this is what verse 4 is alluding to. And when that happens, Isaiah begins to experience Isaiah is gripped by something that is initially very uncomfortable. And before I touch on that, I want to say something to you guys, family, very practically, because I really want to uh, uh, make what we're talking about very practical for our everyday experience, okay? For you to see the glory of God, there's a certain place you got to go. Now, now I, I see God's glory revealed in so many different ways in my life and the way people, uh, man, just this week, if I had time to testify of what God did for me this week, I shared a little bit with our grow group on Thursday night, but I would take up way too much time and you guys are going to need to eat. So I, it, there is a particular place, however, a primary place that God needs us to go to get a vision of his glory that will lead us to true worship. 
It is in the word of God. It is in the Bible where his character of God, well, the character of God is on full display. And there is no greater place to see where the character of God is on full display than in the four Gospels, in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ is the express image of God according to Hebrews verse one, Hebrews chapter 1. And so when you're there in the Bible, particularly with Christ as the focus, the glory of God is being revealed for, to you. You're getting to know his character, his person, and it causes you to want to respond in worship. And I want to say something to you, and if you want to tweet it, feel free, young people. Here it is. Your public worship is informed by your private worship. Let us say that one more time. Your public worship, what happens here, is informed by your private worship. It, it, it is just a reflection of the daily experience with Jesus. And so, if, it, it, so for the public worship to be one that is just such an experience that people come and they say, man, surely God is amongst this people, then there needs to, something needs to be happening in our private time with Jesus every day. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. As you're spending time in the Word, and I'm hoping that you're spending time with the Lord every single day in Word and in prayer, amen? And as you're spending time in the Word, as you're going through maybe a Bible reading plan, whatever it is, I want you to focus in on what you're seeing revealed about God's character. And I do something. I actually, I, I have four things I look for every day, but I actually jot it down. I, I write it down. I journal it. God, I saw that you were merciful today. I read Isaiah 6, and I saw that, that you are holy, and I, and I saw the word glory, and it revealed to me something that I read in Exodus about your character. Okay? I write that down very practically. I want to see it. If I want to know this guy, God, I need to know his character. So if I want to know his character, I want to focus in my time with him in the word so that I can actually see it, write it down, come back to it, maybe even memorize it. Is that good? practical way of actually experiencing, getting a vision of the glory of God that leads you to worship. But here's the thing that made Isaiah a little uncomfortable in verse, in verse, help me Lord, in verse number five. Let's go back to our Bibles. Isaiah chapter six, beginning in verse number five. The Bible says this, Isaiah speaking, he says, so I said, woe is me, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Imagine the prophet of God, the spokesman for God says, I am a man of unclean lips. And he says, for, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. Remember, this is in the year that King Uzziah died, but my eyes have seen the true king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is in the awesome presence of God. He's in the awesome presence of Yahweh. And as he's there getting a glimpse of the glory of God, he's seeing God's character in full display as he's interacting with humanity. He becomes keenly aware of something else. As he gets closer to God and to God's character is becoming more keenly revealed to him, his character is also beginning to be put on the spotlight and it begins to reveal a problem. He, became, he begins to become keenly aware of his sin. And here's something else we need to understand about worship. Worship, and this almost sounds paradoxical, but true worship will lead you to conviction and confession of sin. True worship will lead you to conviction that should lead you to confession of sin. This is very similar to the experience in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, of Peter, the disciple of Jesus. Right when Jesus is about to commission him 
this time, I believe this is the second time, but he's about to conf- he's about to commission him, and he does that miracle where Peter's been fishing all night. You remember the story, maybe, that Jesus is there with Peter, and Peter casts the net on the other side, and there's all those fish that come into the boat, right, to overflowing, and Peter is so amazed, he begins to realize who he is standing in the presence of, and as the glory of God is being revealed to him, he also becomes keenly aware of his own condition. And he says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, go away from me, Lord. By the way, when he says this, he is at the knees of Jesus. He's at the feet of Jesus in his immediate presence. And he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, let me ask you, did Peter actually want Jesus to literally go and walk away and leave him at that moment? Absolutely not. He had just experienced the favor and blessing and miraculous working power of God on his behalf. But what he's saying is, is in the presence of, of Christ, I, I, I realize, I realize that I'm a sinful man. He had already been walking with Jesus now, part-time somewhat, because they were still kind of fishing, for maybe a year or so. But this particular revelation of Christ allowed him to see himself in, in clearer view. And this is what Auntie Ellen, again, I love Ellen White's uh, quote here. She's capturing the same idea. She says this. She says, and this is coming from Steps to Christ, if you have not read this book, you definitely want to read this book. It is an awesome book that brings you to Christ. It says this, the closer you come to Jesus, she says, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. Is anybody discouraged already? The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. Your vision will become clearer, she says, and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. That's, that's just code for his character, right? His, his character of other-centered love. This is evident, but watch this now. Listen to what she says. She says, this is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power. This is evidence that Satan's delusions over you over me, has lost its power, that the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. This is in a genuine, true worship experience where you have seen the character of God on full display, but you also realize that you have fallen short of that beautiful, lovely, other-centered character. And this is not to discourage you in your time with Christ, whether private or public. This is good news. God is doing heart surgery. And as he's there with you, he wants to, he wants you to bring that thing, whatever it is that you're dealing with that's separating you from him, whatever that, that dysfunction is, whatever it is, he wants you to bring it out into the light. Why? Because he can't help you be free and liberated from it if you keep it in the dark. Because the longer you keep those things hidden in the dark, By the way, God can see it all. But the longer you, in your own experience and mind, the more you keep that thing in the dark, the more power it has over you. Bitterness, hurts, sin, addiction, whatever it is, you keep that thing in the dark. This is why psychologists and counselors make a lot of money, because people get a chance to bring their stuff out into the open and talk about it, and therefore the process of healing can take place. And so God gives us this thing. It's a Bible word. It's really cool. It's called confession and repentance. This is a part of a general, a, 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 a genuine worship experience. The Holy Spirit will convict you. This is evidence that Ellen White says is that the that the that the uh, the enemy is losing his power. <laughs> 
is delusion over you. It's being broken. And now, so that you can be set free, so those chains can be removed, God says, bring that thing out into my presence. Bring that thing out into the light so that I can liberate you. And here's how he does it, and we're now getting to the why of worship. And this is in verse number six. The Bible says this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, Isaiah says, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Now, again, I want to inform you that was a great opportunity right there to say amen and hallelujah. So I'm going to say it for you. Amen. Okay, so here's what's going on. You're convicted of your sin, but God says, look, if you're going to have a genuine worship experience, and if you want to know what the why of the worship is, here it is. It is that when you come into my presence before, before you get to the public, in your private time with God, you, yes, see the glory of God on full display. It convicts you of your sin. You bring that thing out into the light, and you confess it to him. You make a decision to go and turn away from it by the power of his spirit. But then he says, you don't leave that time without the assurance of your salvation. You don't, you don't come into his presence and get convicted so that you can stay in bondage and shame and guilt. He says, I need you now. After you've done that, now I need you to move into faith. I, I, I need you to move into dependence on me. I need you to move in faith and trust in my promises of salvation and grace revealed in Jesus at the cross. And so if you want to experience it, if you want to know what the why of worship is, it's informed by the who of worship, Jesus Christ. You experience his grace every day. I remember when I was at the seminary and I was, I was there studying 2010 to 2013. And as I was there, you know, I am soaked in the word of God, right? Some of the best worship experiences. By the way, Andrews University, uh, I mean, I'm doing a lot of shameless plugs this morning. Uh, Andrews University is, by the way, in the nation right now, statistically, I think it's the fourth most internationally diverse uh, college and uh, uh, university in the nation. Just imagine the richness of the experience of all these different cultures. It kind of reminds me of my home church. <laughs> the, all the richness of all these cultures coming together to worship Jesus Christ and coming into the Word of God and systematically studying the Word of God. Man, I'm there. I finally surrendered after three years of running from God, uh, running from the call of God in my life. And I finally go there. I surrendered. And I go, I'm in the Word of God now. God, I'm in your will. I'm, I'm preparing for pastoral ministry. There's all these wonderful worship experiences. I'm growing deeper. in my. I'm having a spiritual high, right? And as I'm experiencing the glory of God, something begins to happen in CJ's life. Like Isaiah and Peter, I begin to realize some of my own defects of character. I began to realize there's some things in CJ that are still dysfunctional. I began to realize that CJ is preparing for pastoral ministry when he himself needs Christ probably more than anybody else. I began to realize there's some aspects and some things in my life that began to, the light got shone on me and I began to realize, wow, you know, I'm really not all that. I began to realize there's aspects of me that was not yet fully yielded and surrendered to Jesus Christ. And as, as my eyes began to get clearer and I began to see that I initially went through that kind of, God, why am I even here? Uh, you know, I love you, I love your word, but man, I, I, I can't do this. 
And then God began to reveal something to me. I want to share it with you again, very practical, that you can have in your own personal experience as we get ready to wrap up. God showed something to me very practically that has completely changed my life today. And every time I get a chance to talk about it, I do. You know, I talked a little bit earlier about how you can actually practically see the glory of God revealed in Scripture as you go through your daily devotional life in Him through the, through the reading of the Word, right, in prayer. Well, yes, I, I jot down the character of God, how it's revealed to me that day, but there's something else I do. The second thing I look for every single day, and this, this thing that I do allows me to literally preach the gospel to myself every single day. To remind me of the salvation that I have in Jesus Christ, very practically. The gospel literally is a golden thread. It's a cord that goes from Genesis to Revelation. Every book of the Bible is telling you something about Jesus and him crucified. Every single... By the way, when you read the book of Leviticus through that lens, oh, wow. Where you were snoring and falling asleep, now you're going, thank you, Jesus. The peace offering was telling me that I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the showbread in the sanctuary. My daily bread, right? How he taught us to pray. He is the thing that gives us sustenance. He says in John 6, I am the bread of life. The prayer for your daily bread is not just for your physical food or your needs. It's for Jesus who takes care of all those other things for you. Jesus is everywhere. And so every day, no matter where I am, what I see about the character of God, but the character of God is the most revealed brilliantly in Jesus and him crucified. So when I see a lamb that's being offered, I say, oh, there goes Jesus. There, th there goes the gospel. When I see uh, Moses, right, as they are going through the Red Sea and God delivers them through the ministry of Moses, that's a picture of Jesus. The exodus really was the cross, delivering us from sin and bondage to sin. Every single day, when I see the ark, Noah's Ark, that's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the Ark of Safety. Get in Him and you will be saved. And all of us that are in there that are saved by His grace are like those animals that may be smelly and so forth inside the, the building, but, but outside is disaster. But inside the Ark is safety and He's working on those that are inside. The Gospel is everywhere. And as I see that, as I close my time with the Lord... I go to the cross in my prayer. I begin my time by praising him for some aspect of his character of love that I saw, because that's really where the worship begins, right? God, you're faithful. Wow, you've been faithful to me. You're merciful. Wow, you've been merciful to me. But then I get that conviction of sin, and I go, wow, that's that thing, CJ. You've got to confess it. I do that. Then I go to the cross. Come on, somebody. When you have confessed your sin, don't just confess it and say, I'm going to try and do better. Because in your own strength, you can't. <laughs> the thing that's going to actually help you transform is by literally telling yourself the gospel every day. Go to the, I'm, I'm being very practical with you. Go to the cross and say, Jesus, that's right, I saw a lamb today. I saw a lamb. Those that went to the, to the sanctuary and they gave their lamb, that lamb took the weight, the full, like I say, I said it in Bible study this week, the missile of our sins was placed on that lamb. And I walked away free recipient of the blessing of salvation and the justifying grace of God, all that stuff, right? It's wrapped up in the sacrifice of Jesus. And I tell myself, I have been, because of the cross, declared righteous while he's now every day making me righteous through the relationship. He gave me the million dollars, a billion trillion dollars of grace before I ever got it together. He has, he has given me victory and therefore I'm not working for victory. I'm working from a place of victory. 
This is all the cross is telling you. I am not just a forgiven sinner. God, through the cross, when I believe it by faith, God says, what, you did what? Uh, because of Christ, you are declared innocent. While he is every day through the relationship, prayer, the word, receiving every day, asking God for the indwelling Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, you are being made what he declared you. This is the gospel. This is the cross. That continues all the way until he comes. Just don't leave the relationship. He'll fix, he'll complete what he started. Okay? But that whole time, your position before God is innocent. Free. If you are in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, powerful chapter, he begins with this very, I love this verse. He says this. He says, there is therefore, and I love the word that comes after therefore. Because every time I read that verse, that word that comes after therefore is always there. Hallelujah. He says, there is therefore now. Are we living in the now right now? Was that a double negative I just did? Thank you. Yeah, the teacher's correct to me. The, the, there is therefore now, in 2017, right now, no condemnation to those that are what? In Christ Jesus. By the way, that's just IE for relationship, right? Prayer, the word. So if you're in that relationship, by the way, people that are in the relationship do stumble from time to time. Paul, and by the way, that's what Revelation, uh, a Roman, the previous chapter was about. Paul said, I, I'm still struggling. I try to do right and I keep messing up. But he says, I thank God for the gospel. He says, he says, he says, there is therefore right now, as I'm still, God is still working on me, but right now in Christ, everything that I am not, I am in Christ. He says, right now, there is no condemnation to me because I am in Jesus Christ. And does that mean I walk around going, oh yeah, I'm going to go ahead and smoke and do all kinds of stuff? Absolutely not. That's really immature Christianity. That's not even Christianity. When you come to the foot of the cross, it motivates you. It moves you to a transformed life. You, that confession thing that happens, right? When you get convicted of the sin, you, you, you immediately it comes to you. You don't run from God. No, you run to God. Why? There is therefore now no condemnation. So confess that thing to God. Receive his grace. Tell yourself the gospel one more time. But guess what? The gospel, this worship experience, this experience in Jesus Christ leads you to something. And don't miss this as we conclude right now. It leads you in verse 8. It leads you to something that I'm very passionate about and very happy to join with you in. Because I'm in that same boat right now myself. It says this. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Isaiah says. Here I am, send me. Very plainly, very simply. By the way, the, alt, the, the, the coal that was brought from the altar by the angel and placed on his lips, right? I don't want to fall. That was placed on his lips. That was a symbol of the cross, okay? Your sin is purged, your iniquity is cleansed. But guess what? That led him to the next part in verse 8. And here's what God is saying, and here's where I want to, where I want to land this morning. True worship always leads to mission. I'm going to say it again. True worship, naturally, organically, without you trying really, leads to mission. 
When I, when I was in seminary and I began to practically experience the gospel every day in my personal daily relationship with Jesus Christ, man, when that began to happen, now I'm excited about going out there and giving my life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God, in his grace, has given a sinner victory. He has given me justification. He has given me the good news of the gospel. And so I can go now to other broken people like me and tell them there's hope. And so I, 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 I love this because what, what begins to happen here now is literally picture it like this. The Godhead is doing something for me that is almost kind of comical. Did you notice, by the way, in verse 8, it said, he said, who will go for us? All right. All right so, so God, because God is love, he is relational. Therefore, there's three in one. All right. Love exists in the context of other centered relationship. And so here they are. They go. All right. So. All right. Let's do this. He just received grace. Isaiah is absolutely just, wow, thank you, God. And then they do something that's hilarious. They go, all right, now, I mean, I, I, we need somebody to, to, to tell somebody about our grace. I mean, who can we find? Is there anybody in here that could tell somebody about how good we are? I mean, just imagine, Isaiah is there hearing this, right? And just picture for a minute a classroom, and God, uh, the, the God is there at the front, like they're the teacher, and there's an empty classroom with just one student in the back, and that's Isaiah. And they go, who shall we send? I go, who shall go for us? Where are we going to find somebody? And the person that just received the grace of Jesus Christ, amen, is like, yo, here, here I am. Send me, I'll do VBS, another shameless plug. Here I am, right? I'll do it. Let me loose, right? I, I, I can't wait to go and tell somebody about that. I said, woe is me, and you, you, you forgave me. You cleansed me. If there's anybody that is a ripe candidate, oh, hear me, somebody, today. I could give you, I could give you testimony after testimony this morning. The person that is ready immediately to jump into mission is the person that has just received Jesus Christ. Release them into ministry, please, lest they perish. Here I am, send me. We now get a vision all the way as we close into Revelation chapter 14. John, the apostle, is on the Isle of Patmos, and he is getting a vision again, just like Isaiah. And he is looking down to 2017. And beyond, and he's seeing God's last day church. He's seeing God's, here it is, the, the, the last day discipleship movement. And he says, there's something about this community of faith. They have a message, right? They've entered into the mission of Christ. It's a threefold gospel message. We like to call it Revelation 14, 6 to 12. We like to call it the three angels message. It's the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just saturated with Jesus. And they're preaching that thing and, and they're living that gospel in a very practical way. But he notices something in verse 7 of Revelation 14. He, he lets us know there's a window into who this, this community is. They are a worshiping community on mission. They're part of their message, their proclamation of the gospel is those that respond to this, this, this gospel, this everlasting gospel, they say, worship the Lord of the Sabbath. See, see, the, the, the response comes, they, 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 they glorify God, it, it talks about. They fear God, right? They, they recognize the living in the hour of his judgment. And for them, that means good news, it means deliverance. But they also understand that when you have a daily encounter with Jesus Christ as the recipient of his grace, 
it naturally leads you to keep his commandments. And one of those commandments is a 24-hour date day with God that is set apart and holy. And they can't help it. I want it all. Look, I may not have kept the Sabbath before, but guess what? Now that I know that this is God's date day, and he, just like if I forgot my, my wife's anniversary, God, he just, he put that in the commandments because it's special to him. It's our birthday, the planet's birthday, and he wants me to experience it. He wants me to experience it from a place of grace. It's a, it's a gift of grace that he gives me. And I, I, I want to keep it. John 14, 15, Jesus said, those that love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Is this a means to salvation? Absolutely, unequivocally, no. It's the response of those that are experiencing the gospel. That everlasting gospel that went first, they respond by saying, I want to keep every command of Jesus Christ by his grace and power. And that includes the seventh-day Sabbath. That language from Revelation 7 is coming from Exodus 20. That's why it says in, four, in, 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 in verse 12, those that have the faith of Jesus keep his commandments. That's the, he said, Here's the patience of the saints. They keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. Why? They're experiencing the gospel and it's transforming their lives and so they want to be obedient out of love to Jesus Christ. And that leads them to worship. They're not waiting for the praise team and, and, and Adam they're not waiting for, for CJ or, or, or our wonderful musicians and singers. They're, they're, they're not waiting for even Sabbath to start worshiping. They get up in the morning and they say, God, thank you for waking me up. Some people didn't wake up this morning. And so I thank you. I'm going to spend some time with you. Oh, wow, you're so amazing. I see in the word that you're gracious and you're loving. And wow. And, and, and oh, thank you for your grace. I needed that today. And, and now when they go to work, Lord, have mercy. They can't keep that joy and peace concealed. And so they're already praying for people on the job. They, 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 they start, that person wants to come to them at the water cooler. And that's a setup by the Holy Spirit because worship leads to mission. And so they're there at school and that one kid is looking depressed and sad and they go and they cheer them up and that person sees Christ revealed through them. They are in a house with someone that does not know Jesus. They're leading their kids to Jesus. See, worship leads to mission every day of your life. And so they're having that experience starting on Sunday at the beginning of the week and, and every day they're experiencing the glory of God. Every day the worship is leading them to mission. And by the time they get to Vienna, they cannot contain the worship. It doesn't matter what if it's a slow or fat hymn or they're just ready to they're in the overflow of the experience with Jesus. Oh, was it a difficult week? Yeah, maybe, but He's been faithful. And I began my worship before I got here to church this morning, and so I'm not coming on E for a pick me up. I'm coming out of the overflow to thank God for the grace that I've experienced and the faithfulness that have brought me through. And now, please, when we exit this service, release me into mission. Look at the life of Jesus on Sabbath. Synagogue, yes, but after that, he's out in the community, healing, restoring, and making people whole. Why? Worship leads to mission. I'm finished, everybody. That's the message. Worship leads to mission. Is that your experience? And if it's not, I welcome you into the journey of a daily relationship with Jesus. I want to make this practical for somebody maybe that's here. There is maybe a card, I believe some of our pews have them, uh, that, that we can get your contact information if you're up there on the pews. Same thing, if you're watching online, you can respond to us, send us an email or something. 
There is at the back outside, one of our amazing deacons or elders can give you one of those cards. We want to follow up with you this week. You want practical steps? I can share you a link. I can contact you. Someone here can contact you. We want to give you an opportunity to know practically Jesus Christ in these last days. Because that is going to lead you to mission. Let's sing and stand together. If that is your desire... Your desire is to have an experience with Jesus where you see the glory of God. You're convicted of sin, yes, you confess, you repent, but now that leads you to the cross and you receive his grace every day. And that now leads you to go, here am I, send me, that I invite you to... Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.